Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Jen the Libertarian podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. All right, so we have made it through another week in our post-COVID world, and even by the standards of our current situation, this past week has been quite the doozy. Um, If you happen to miss it, or if you are new here, uh, the last episode I did, I talked specifically about the states that are allowing their shelter-in-place slash stay-at-home orders to expire and reopen a little bit, including my state, the state of Georgia. So if you did miss that, go ahead, listen to that one before you listen to this one, because I'm not really going to address that in this episode, because like I said, I already did it. So... Let's go ahead and start with our new unemployment numbers. Um, For the past week, which is not this past week, but the week before, obviously, an additional 4.4 million people got onto unemployment, which brings our number up to 26 million people in the past, what, five weeks now? Five to six weeks? Woo. I mean, it's, it's slowing down. That's hopeful, I think. Um, but yeah, that's still a lot of unemployed people. And I mean, even anything over a million is like just staggering to think about in the span of a week, let alone 4.4 million people in a week. So we shall see what happens with that trend. Like I said, um, we do have some states that are starting to flirt with opening. Some states are obviously not. Some states are extending their shelter-in-place orders. So it's really going to be kind of a hodgepodge across the country as to what state does what and what happens then. So I will cross my fingers. And as always, if you are one of the people who now find yourself in the unemployment line, good luck to you. I hope it goes well for you. I hope you were able to get your money. And I hope that this all kind of works itself out sooner rather than later so you can get back to work. But anyway, moving on to a whole bunch of Trump nonsense this week. And we're going to start with immigration. Trust me, we will get to injecting bleach. We will get there, but I want to take this in chronological order because the 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 injecting bleach part has kind of overshadowed the immigration part that happened earlier this week. So Monday night, Trump had tweeted out, apparently of his own accord because nobody in State Department, Department of Homeland Security had any freaking clue what the hell he was talking about when he tweeted this out. But he tweeted out that he was going to be suspending all immigration into the United States. Full stop. That was a tweet. So obviously, lots of us were incredibly concerned about that because, yeah, that's not really something that the president should be deciding unilaterally by himself. I mean, that should be something that if you're going to pursue it should happen through Congress because of separation of powers and Congress rights laws, including immigration laws. Anyway, so what ended up happening is Trump signed an executive order that took place as of 11.59 p.m. on April 23rd. So this is the current immigration rules in effect for visas. And before I get into this, I want to do like a quick little explainer about how the visa program works in this country, kind of like a broad overview so you can kind of understand this. Um, Overall, there are two kinds of visas one can get 
to come into the United States. There's temporary and there's permanent. This order deals solely with permanent visas. This does not deal with any of the temporary visas that are available. So permanent visas have always been, and especially in the Trump administration, very, very, very difficult to get under the best of circumstances because it's something where you're saying that you are planning to move to the United States and to live here permanently. So the bar is very high. Even before we did this right here, that per Trump's tweet was meant to protect American jobs and American citizens and hooray for USA and that this is supposed to somehow also stop the spread of COVID. But let's go over who does get exempted from this and who does not. So who the executive order covers. These are the people who, as of right now, cannot get permanent visas to come into the United States. Parents and adult children of U.S. citizens, spouses and children of legal permanent residents, diversity visa participants, and all employment-based visas except for EB-5 investor visas and temporary visas, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, the EB-5 investor visa is for people who wish to move to the United States permanently and have X amount of assets that they plan on investing in American companies. I've seen a lot of anti-immigration people kind of latch onto this part of the EO and point to it as a bad thing because obviously, I mean, this this is kind of aimed at Chinese. I mean, let's, let's keep it real, but investor visas still allow someone to quote unquote buy their way into the, the United States by being wealthy and saying, well, I'm going to invest $2 million in an American business. And so then you can get your EB-5 visa. I saw Ann Coulter go off about this. And I mean, there's there's only so much you really want to do with immigration right now. And this EO is not good. Do not get me wrong. This is not good. But this is definitely a lot less bad than it could have been. But let's go to who it does not cover. It does not cover refugee or asylum seekers. That being said, we have effectively already ended both of those programs through various other bans, like closing down the borders. Obviously, if you cannot enter the United States, you cannot apply for refugee or asylum status. So that's pretty much been shut down anyway. Any temporary visas, which include not only worker visas, but student visas, tourist visas, basically any visa that just allows you to be in the United States for a specific period of time. Um, it does not include the H-1B visas. Those are the temporary guest worker visas, typically for farm workers, low-skilled labor, stuff like that. That has been a bone of contention with the anti-immigration crowd that those were not included in the visa ban. But for obvious reasons, you really don't want to do that right now either. Any immigrants abroad who already have a U.S. visa or travel document, so if you are not a legal permanent resident or a U.S. citizen, you're here on a visa, but you happen to be outside of the country right now, you can still get back into the country. You're not locked out of the country. Um, spouses and minor children of U.S. citizens, which is a really weird kind of setup on this, because if you remember, um, spouses and children of U.S. citizens can come in. Parents and adult children of U.S. citizens cannot. 
So, um, yeah, it it's kind of a weird situation there. I don't know why spouses are good, but parents aren't, aside of, I mean, I guess if you want to make the argument about marriage, obviously minor children, that's different than adult children. Once you reach the age of 18, your parents can't apply for a visa for you anymore anyway. You have to do it yourself, so that kind of makes sense. But it's just a weird, weird setup that kind of had to, like, thread a lot of needles with this EO to try to do what I think he was trying to do and not piss off too many groups of people. But back to the list of people it does not cover. Um, Iraqi and Afghani translators who have worked with the U.S. military. There is a specific visa program for those translators, and this is a topic of much controversy. Not that they exist. I mean, obviously they should exist, but the U.S. has not been nearly as forthcoming with those visas as they should be. Um, Basically, how this worked was that any Afghanis, any Iraqis who did operate with the U.S. military as translators would be getting a visa to enter the United States, obviously as recompense for their work. And also because once you do that, your living situation can become very dangerous in those countries. So if you are going to make that decision to cooperate with the U.S. military, you kind of got to have a plan to get the hell up out of the country once your your job is done. So that's been something that has been a, a long simmering point of contention. But those people, if the U.S. ever gets off their ass and starts giving them their visas, are excluded from this EO. Um, any temporary workers coming in who work in healthcare, who are deemed essential employees, um any of their spouses and children are still eligible for visas. Um, Obviously, this does include, like I said, farm workers. Um, It includes tech workers. It includes, I mean, pretty much anybody that can be considered an essential employee right now in our current situation is still eligible for a temporary visa. So anyway, and the last catch-all sort of category here is anybody deemed of national interest or further or furthers important law enforcement objectives. So let's go back to what Trump said this was supposed to do versus what it's actually going to do. Um, If you are still allowing temporary work visas, this is not going to protect American jobs. And I don't say that because I think that immigrants should be kept out right now. Absolutely not. But If your stated goal was to protect the American worker, uh, this EO ain't going to do it. And for for very obvious good reasons, like right now, you do not want to fuck with the food supply. You do not want to fuck with the food chain. You do not want to fuck with healthcare workers. You don't want to fuck with tech. You do not want to fuck with anybody who could be considered an essential employee. Not now. (laughs) But what this does do especially when you look at who it does cover, um, basically this is aimed at chain migration. I mean, the people who are not being allowed in right now on permanent visas are not the groups of people that you're typically going to have to worry about, quote unquote, stealing American jobs. They're, They're family members of people who are already here, be they U.S. citizens or legal permanent residents. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of a needlessly cruel thing to do right now, especially 
in the middle of a global pandemic. And I'm sure if you are stateside, you would like to have your family with you at least. I mean, or at least not in some other country. I'm not saying that the U.S. is a super great place to be right now with COVID, but I can understand wanting to bring your family closer to you because who knows what the hell is going to happen in the next month, two months, six months, a year. I, I get wanting to have your people around you. So this just, it does not do the thing that Trump said it was going to do. Um, Another category of people that are excluded, and a lot of people were worried about this when Trump made the initial tweet. Um, Anybody who is within the United States and is already in the system and is applying for adjustment of status to upgrade to a, a temporary visa or a permanent visa is excluded from the system. So that kind of takes care of that because a lot of people were worried about, well, where does this leave people who are currently in that system trying to do adjustment of status because as part of the path that you have to take to get legal citizenship is you you kind of you start either refugee asylum uh temporary visa work visa and then you adjust your status as you go on and also if you're a legal permanent resident and you're looking to become a, a citizen this is part of the process too so those people are safe how long is this supposed to last Allegedly, it is supposed to last for 60 days. However, there's been a lot of immigration changes that have come out of the executive office that were supposed to be temporary and that are still in existence, including the ban on travel from certain Muslim countries that was only supposed to be for 60 days and is still in effect almost four years later. (laughs) So, yeah, um... Oh, and and kind of Stephen Miller is already out here kind of letting the mask drop on that whole temporary 60 day thing because he's out here saying that this is just laying the groundwork for what the administration wants to do, or at least what he wants to do as far as limiting legal immigration as much as humanly possible. So again, one more time, in case you haven't heard me say this so many times, This was never about illegal immigration. The whole idea that the Trump administration opposes illegal immigration and likes people who do it right, obviously not. Obviously not, because getting a visa is doing it right. So it was never about illegal immigration. It was always about immigration straight up, legal or illegal. They want to cut off immigration to this country through any means necessary, and so This is the administration taking a crisis and not letting it go to waste. I also think that part of Trump's motivation here is kind of an acknowledgement that at least as of right now, he's not going to be able to run on the economy and jobs the way he was planning on doing before this whole COVID disaster took place. So now he's pivoting back to his other main issue, which is immigration. Like I've already said, this doesn't do what Trump advertised it to be doing, thankfully. But what this does is it throws a little bit of red meat to red meat to his base, who are starting to wear a bit weary of Trump's bullshit, especially with these ridiculous daily press conferences and just the 
the insane shit that comes out of this man's mouth. A lot of his base are just kind of being like, okay, can you can you not? So I think this was kind of a a campaign pivot slash kind of trying to appease the base to be like, look, I'm I'm still doing the immigration thing. Like the economy and the job thing might be in the tank, but we can still do the immigration thing. And that's what's important, right? And kind of veiling it in this cloak of helping the American workers, but you're not really because the people, like I said, the people that you're excluding are not the people who are a threat to any American jobs. Not that if we're being completely honest, any of the jobs that immigrants come here and take are not jobs that American workers are entirely willing to do, which is why there is immigrant labor in the first place. And that's a whole nother ball of wax. So, I mean, let's face it, you're not going to get the people who are right now on unemployment to, first off, relocate to wherever the farms are, to where the slaughterhouses are, to where the meatpacking factories are, and do these jobs. Like, there's a whole reason why immigrants do these jobs. And it's not a new phenomenon. If you've ever studied immigration, you know that immigrants, when they come to this country, be they Central and South Americans like we have right now. You can go back and look at the kind of jobs that the Irish took, the Italians took, Polish, Eastern Europeans. It was all these low-skilled, kind of dangerous, very labor-intensive jobs. And it's, this is just a continuation of that. It's immigrants doing the jobs that Americans don't want to do. I mean, it's it's an ugly truth, and there's a lot of exploitation that goes on with that, and there's a lot of shady shit that goes on with that, but that that is what it is. And right now, I mean, it sucks, but you can't really mess with that system too much right now. Not so in the vein of healthcare, especially when you're starting to talk about like palliative care, hospice, in-home care. A lot of this is done by immigrants. So you really don't want to mess with that right now either. So Again, like I said, this is kind of Trump trying to straddle the line between looking like he's doing a thing, but not upsetting the apple cart too much because right now we really can't afford to upset that apple cart. So, yeah, it it still sucks, though. It just uh, it just it makes people worry and it just puts people in this position that. I mean, you've already got enough to worry about right now, especially if you're an immigrant and you're here and you've got this pandemic to worry about. I mean, the last thing you need to be worried about is your status or your spouse's status or your children's or your parents. And it's just like, this is just so unnecessary right now. But it is grabbing a hold of a crisis and trying to use it to get what you want. <sighs> it's... Uh, uh, uh. But... Yeah, my thoughts on, on Trump's views on immigration, I've made pretty well known, but that's where we're at, at least with that. So, moving on to the injecting bleach. So, unless you've been living under some kind of rock, you already know what I'm talking about here, but I do want to discuss this because, again, it is Trump being a super unhelpful person, and not only being super unhelpful, but being kind of deranged. Um... Yeah, there's been a lot of reaction to what he said, and I want to go ahead and read verbatim what came out of this man's mouth, and because some people want to get hung up on context, let me give you the context of 
what happened right before Trump made these comments in a press conference. I believe it was on Thursday. Like I said, they do these daily. I don't understand why. There's nothing. There's nothing he needs to talk about on a daily basis. Anyway, apparently he had just been shown a slideshow talking about how UV light, bleach, isopropyl alcohol are really good at killing COVID on hard surfaces. So he gets up behind the podium and says this. Mind you, this is talking about UV light, bleach, and isopropyl alcohol. I asked Bill a question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that it hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or in some other way. And I think you said that you were going to test that too. It sounds interesting. And then I see the disinfectant, which knocks it out in a minute. One minute. And there's a way that we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning. Because you see, it gets in the lungs and it does a tremendous number on the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. And it just occurs to me that I should have read that in a Trump voice, I'm sorry, missed opportunity, but it's pretty clear that the man said that we should figure out a way, first off, to get massive amounts of UV light inside the body. Um, no, that would cause skin cancer. That's why we don't do that. Like, what, do you want us to just all go to the tanning bed? Like, that's a way to get UV light inside the body. Are we supposed to go outside and do like the sunshine enema? If you don't know what that is, Google it at your own risk. Just know that this is like some Gwyneth Paltrow goop shit. And I'm pretty sure you can get the general idea from sunshine enema. What exactly is supposed to be going on here? It it involves outside nudity. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I guess that's one way of getting sunlight inside your body. <laughs> and then, of course injecting the disinfectants inside the body. Again, the disinfectants in question were bleach and isopropyl alcohol. The man said what he said. That's what he said. Like, there ain't no way of trying to get around that. And if you watch the clip, it's pretty much just him up there spitballing his way through this with the Dr. Burks. Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah, she's sitting there with like this horrified expression on her face, like, what the fuck is this man talking about? But yeah, he said it. <laughs> he said it. And so the next day, he tries to walk this back, like he was making some kind of sarcastic comment to see what the press would say. Um, no, when you watch the clip, it's pretty clear he was saying what he was saying. And it wasn't in like some sarcastic, flippant way. Like he's really like sitting there, like navel gazing about getting massive amounts of UV light and bleach inside the human body to kill COVID. And another one that I saw that I didn't see a lot of people pick up on is he's he's discussing this because he, he, he says it's sarcasm, but then he doubles down on it because this is Trump and this is what Trump does. He's making this argument that like the human body is a hard surface. Okay. All of you are very smart people, so I'm sure I don't have to tell you this, but 
No matter how much time you spend in the gym, the human body is not a hard surface. Please do not rub bleach on your skin or put it inside your body. Obviously, you can use isopropyl alcohol on your skin. Do that as needed, but do not bathe in it and do not put it in certain delicate places. You will have a bad time. So it's just like, what? No, the human skin is porous. It's not a hard surface. It's the opposite of a hard surface. I'm just like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? No, like, no, that's not how this works. But obviously, everybody has latched onto that. And some people were wondering, like, okay, is this finally it? Like, is this the moment where even Trump supporters are going to be like, this dude is batshit insane? The answer is no. It is not the moment where Trump supporters are going to realize this dude is batshit insane. First off, the the spin was that he didn't actually say that, which, like I said, it's pretty clear he did. And so they spent 24 hours trying to say that he didn't say what he said, only to have the next day Trump be like, well, I said it, but I meant it sarcastically, which brings me back to a point that I have made several times. There is no point in defending Trump because any defense that you possibly come up with, he will shoot dead within 24 hours and you will look like an idiot. So basically everybody who spent time saying, well, he didn't say that. Well, (laughs) he just admitted to saying it. So yeah, good job guys. But of course there's people trying to minimize it and be like, well, no, he said you got to do it with the doctors. I'm like, okay, so I'm supposed to go to the doctor and have them inject the bleach in my lungs. Like that's not better. That's not any better. That doesn't say that he didn't say that. But yeah, these these pressers are just getting more and more unhinged. And like I said, I don't watch them. I mean, there's just, there's no point. There's absolutely no point because there's no useful information coming out of them. But it is clearly getting to a point where we're going from annoying to useless to potentially dangerous. There have been reports of spikes in people calling up their local, like, like the poison control centers, um, that seems to kind of be a bit of fake news because people seem to be using numbers from March to make these stories anyway. It's just still like, you know, some jackass is going to try to drink bleach. It's just like, oh my God, no. Anyway, that's, that is the nonsense that came out of this man this week. Oh, who knows what next week is going to hold. There, there's been rumors flying around that maybe they're going to stop doing the daily press conferences or at least kind of draw back on them a little bit, which please, dear God, please make it stop. It, it's clear that there's nothing of substance coming out of this, except for those of us who like to make up memes about injecting bleach. So another thing that we did get this week is we have gotten officially yet another stimulus bill. Because apparently spending $2 trillion on a stimulus relief package, whatever the hell CARES was supposed to be, got us about three weeks. $2 trillion for three fucking weeks. And so now we have a new one that has officially been signed into law. Another $484 billion. And so what are we getting for this $484 billion? We have gotten... $321 billion put back into the Paycheck Protection Program, which 
that is the program that gives the loans with the strings attached. That's the program where small businesses can apply for loans through their banks, then goes through the SBA. But if you get that money, you have to spend, I think it's still at least 50% of it on payroll. And if you do that, then the, the loan is forgiven. But if you don't, then you have to pay back the loan. How this went down with the first round of funding. Um, essentially, when the CARES Act was written for PPP, for these SBA loans, for the grants, which are, there's there's grants and then there's loans, there's a two-tiered system here. There was no means testing. It was just first come, first serve. So obviously, larger firms who have better accountants, better tax people, got in line first, pretty much hoovered up all the money. And then there was a lot of smaller businesses who were left basically with nothing because it ran out of money. Like it was within a week of the program being up, it was depleted. And there's been a lot of controversy about who got what and whether those companies really should have been applying in the first place, whether they should have gotten anything at all because they actually have reserves in the bank. They're not they're not in the situation that a lot of small and medium-sized businesses are where they don't have any assets that they can draw on. So, yeah. To the best of my knowledge, uh, PPP is still not going to be means-tested. So how long it'll take to go through this $321 billion will be really fascinating to watch. Maybe it'll last a week and a half. Who knows? But so we got $321 billion for that. Um, $60 billion in economic disaster loans for small businesses. That's the other half. Those are the ones that don't have strings attached. That's the stuff that you could theoretically use for whatever it is that you want, whether, I mean, obviously pay rent, pay your vendors, do whatever it is that you want to do with that money. $75 billion in emergency relief for hospitals. I'm not entirely sure what that's supposed to be paying for, but there it is. And then $25 billion to ramp up testing within the United States for COVID. There's no nothing in this second package that is direct benefit to U.S. residents. So, um, I mean, great. We just spent another $484 billion and it's not going to really help anything that needs to be helped right now. I mean, I, I will take the $25 billion for testing because we need to ramp up testing. Please ramp up testing. But yeah, so I'm sure that given the fact that there is no direct payments in this bill, that there probably will be a third one that will include direct payments to American residents because this one doesn't. And yeah. <laughs> oh my God. How much money are we going to spend on this? Like, and we don't have any money. We're broke. This country's broke. We don't have money. Not $2 trillion. $484 billion. But like I said, I'm sure if this continues, there will be another one and maybe even another one after that. But on the topic of workers and payroll and something that I identified as a problem 
before this bill was even signed into law, the first bill. And I talked about this when I did my interview with Scott Lindsacombe, and that is that the original CARES Act, with the way it sets up the federal unemployment assistance and also the PPP loan system and the other loan systems, is that it creates this dueling incentive structure where for businesses and for employees, it's more attractive to be on unemployment than it is to try to navigate this loan system. It's easier for employers to just fire their employees and let them go on unemployment than try to get these loans. It's better for employees who are probably going to be making more money on unemployment than they would going to their jobs. And what do you know? I was right because we are starting to now see stories of businesses who are wanting to reopen or at least open minimally and have like minimal staff do like to-go orders, stuff like that, who are now having issues getting their employees back to work because they are making significantly more money being at home than they would at work. And when I say significantly more money, um, somebody crunched the numbers, especially this is a big problem in like restaurant slash hospitality. Um, your average paycheck in that area is about $550 a week. Conservatively speaking, on unemployment, if you're getting both state and federal unemployment, you could be netting anywhere between, even on the the, the barest estimate, you'd be looking at like 850 some states you're looking at 950 to 1000 some states you're looking at over $1,000 a week in unemployment. Now, it would be ridiculously stupid from a financial perspective for somebody who is making $900 a week to give that up to go make 550 a week. And that's just not even taking into account that that 900 a week comes with not having to go to work. Like that's leaving 40% of your income or at least potential income on the table to go back to work. You would have to be insane to take that deal. Like that makes no financial sense, especially right now when you need to be kind of stacking as much cash as you possibly can. Like taking a massive pay cut to go back to work makes no sense whatsoever. So again, here's that dueling incentive structure employees just don't want to go back to work. And I can't say I blame them because I mean, if you're making that much more by not going to work, like that's economically speaking, that makes no damn sense. Like you don't put, you you don't give up that kind of money. Like that's dumb. But now businesses are basically having to look at shutting down just due to the fact that they can't get employees. And I'm like, you know what? I said that this was going to happen. I pointed out that this was going to happen, and here we are. So how that circle is going to be squared, I have no idea. But it is something that you're starting to see, like a handful of stories come out. I saw like two or three in the past week about various employers that just, they can't get their employees to go back to work. How that works out legally with unemployment, I am not entirely sure. I mean, if you fired your employees and then they don't want to come back to work. Like, I don't think there's much you can do legally. I think, I don't know if there's a distinction legally between firing your employees and furloughing them and recalling them back to work. I'm not entirely sure about all that, but as it stands right now, 
I mean, if you're on unemployment and you're getting that money, like, if it's more than what you were making going to work, like, you're not going to want to go back to work. Like, that's, yeah, that's kind of basic math. Like, no shit, Sherlock. But we shall see how that ends up playing out because we have a lot of unemployed Americans right now. And I don't know. I just, I don't know how this is going to play out. Obviously, I live in the great experiment that is known as the state of Georgia. Um, So far, it doesn't seem like things are really opening up all that much. Um, I noticed um, a lot of retail is still closed. Our malls are still closed. Even if I guess technically they could be open. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. Because if you can't have gatherings of more than 10 people, then, like, how is the mall supposed to be open? But then again, like, how is how is the grocery store open? Because there's always more than 10 people at the grocery store. But any, it, it, there's a lot of murky gray areas right now, especially with reopening and what can reopen and what can't and how many people can you have in there and what and this and that. And it's just, oh, it's just kind of a disaster. But we shall see in the coming weeks how all this ends up working out. Um, we do not have in-dining restaurants yet that will open up on Monday the 27th. So I think that's really going to be the first real test to see exactly how businesses are going to handle this going forward, especially if you do still have to practice social distancing, if you do still have that crowd limit in place, like how exactly is a restaurant going to operate if you can only have 10 people in it at one time? We shall see. So once I once I start seeing things, I will let you know what I see. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.